today's Bible reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. So that's on page 1,220 of the Church Bibles. So that's 1,220, starting verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but inside of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in, in scripture behold I'm, I'm laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame so the owner is for you who believe but for those who do not believe Stones, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Morning, everyone. Am I on? I can't hear me anyway. Is that me? Do I press the mute button wrong? I think I'm on. Maybe I'm not pointed towards my mouth. If I do this? Hello. I'm kind of on. Morning, everyone. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to see you all. Thanks, Dan. Great to see you. For me, one of the best days of my working life was when I was given this. I was given 500 business cards from work. And when I got that, I thought, man, now, now I've really made it. Now I've got something that really captures who I am. Josh Phillips senior trainer wow i got given 500 of these amazing business cards and do you know man how many i gave out for business zero gave out zero of them but i didn't know that at the time i thought this was fantastic because i had a card for everyone who i am and i was pretty proud of who i am i thought being a personal trainer was very cool not just any personal trainer a senior trainer whatever that means at the age of 22 I thought, I thought this, is my, this is who I am. This is my identity. And it meant that I did certain things. When I went to the shops in my personal training shirt, I didn't get KFC because I am a personal trainer. It didn't, didn't fit who I am. When I got out of my uniform, that was a totally different story. But in my uniform, I had a lot of pride. I am. Identity matters to us a lot, doesn't it? Who are we? What defines me as a person? Uh, it's something that can anchor us and bring us security and give us purpose. It's also something that can affect us at the deepest level when we're struggling with it, can't it? Who are you? What defines you as a person? Is it your work that defines you? Is it, is it what you do with most of your week? Uh, have a go at this. Next time you meet someone, I want you to try and not ask them what they do for work. It's pretty hard. I think it's because we go there quickly because we feel like that's kind of tied up with who, if I want to know who you are, 
I need to know what you do for work, because that's who you are. Or is our identity tied up with our kind of status in society? Do, do what car they drive, what house they live in, are they wealthy and respected? Or are they struggling? Are they struggling to get by and so I don't really think as much of them? Or are they kind of somewhere in between and so really they're a bit more like me and so I think, well, you're like me. Is your identity tied up with your sexuality? I'm heterosexual, I'm homosexual, I'm bisexual, I'm transgendered. Uh, I need to know that about you or you need to know that about me because that's really the core of who I am. Is your identity based on your lifestyle? I'm a surfer, I'm a gamer, I'm popular, I'm cool, I'm a mum, I'm a dad. Is that who you are? It's all kinds of things about who we could be. Who are you? If I asked you to tell me who you are, are those the kinds of things that you would tell yourself, tell me about yourself? In the passage we're looking at this morning, God tells us the answer to the question, who am I and what am I for? We get seven times in this passage, Peter says, you are. He's going to tell us who we are. And the answer, according to God, is that at the heart of who you are is something far deeper than your work, your status or lifestyle. Something far deeper than that. And you are for something far greater as well. Let's get stuck in. It'd be great to have your Bibles open. We're going to be flicking there a bit. Point one, have a look at verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are, you are, being built up as a spiritual house. God says, who are you? You're a brick. A living brick who together with a bunch of other living bricks make a spiritual house, a temple. Now when someone asks, tell me about yourself, who are you? I bet you've never said that. I bet you've never said, I am a brick. Who together with a bunch of other bricks, we make a spiritual house. I bet you've never said that. What has that got to do with who we are? Well, to understand the Testament. Now as a quick aside, this whole passage has so many Old Testament references. You basically can't go more than two words without having to go back to the Old Testament to figure out what it's saying, which is significant because sometimes I reckon we can think, I only need to read the New Testament bit. That's kind of the important bit. The Old Testament, that's kind of the extra brownie points for the nerds who are kind of, you know, they're a bit losers. But here in the New Testament, Peter seems to think that you can only truly understand who you are if you know the Old Testament. So it's a good encouragement to get stuck into all of God's Word. Let's see what it says. In the Old God is people to build a temple for Him, and it was built so that God could live among His people with the nation Israel. Now, of course, God is so big, you can't kind of contain Him and fit Him into the box of a temple, but the temple is where God said, my presence will dwell. He said, this is going to be a place of my special presence so I can live among my people. But the thing is that for a holy God to live with humans, kind of without breaking out and destroying them because of sin, God has to set things up so he can live among them, but also kind of be a bit separate from them. And so he set up a temple so he could be among the people, but he also set up the priesthood. And the priests were kind of the go-betweens between God and people. They were the representatives. The nerd word for it is, is mediators. Uh, some separation between the people and God, and so there were physical barriers in the temple, but also God made these priests, people who represented the people to God and God to the people, the priests, the mediators. One of the primary ways that they mediated was they brought acceptable sacrifices. 
to God on behalf of the people. There are all kinds of sacrifices, sacrifices to pay for sin, sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of priests, and the thing about these sacrifices were that they brought God great delight as the people related to God in the way that he set up for them to relate to him in. This is kind of all the background to what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 2. See, the temple was the special place of God's presence on earth. And the priests were his special representatives who brought sacrifices to please and delight God. But now here, Peter says, the spiritual place where God dwells is no longer a particular building. It says, now you, God's people, his church, is the place where God dwells by his spirit. You are the living stones that make up the the walls in this spiritual house, the new temple. And that's not all. Peter, Peter kind of shifts the metaphor to say, you're not only the temple, you're also the priesthood, who are to conduct the priestly duties, which are to, to represent God and offer the sacrifices. But now it's even bigger than that. Now in the new covenant, all those things are intensified. The priests are no longer the go-betweens between kind of God and the rest of his people, Our priesthood is to represent God to the entire world. It's far bigger. And the sacrifices that we offer are no longer kind of physically killing animals. No, it's far bigger. We offer spiritual sacrifices to please God. What's that? What are spiritual sacrifices? It is your whole life of loving others, doing good deeds, seeking to please God. Giving your whole life in sacrifice to God. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. I've got it on the screen, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your body, your whole self, as a living sacrifice. Who am I? I am a brick in God's spiritual house and a priest in his temple to represent God to the world and delight him with my life. Wow. Like, what an unbelievable thing to say about us. Do you get the significance? That for all people have longed to be near the living God, to be able to be special to God in some way, to be able to please him in some way. And Peter says, that is who you are. At the core of your identity, you are someone within whom God dwells. And you have special access to God and are able to please Him. What a privilege. What an honour. What does this mean for us? Three quick implications. First, there's no physical place you can go to be closer to God. In holy sites or church building, God is present with his people, with the church, the bricks of his spiritual house. Second, there's no person who's closer to God than you. We believe in something that's called the priesthood of all believers because of this verse. That is, we all have direct access to God. We all represent God to the world among us equally. Andy and I and Rod don't have a special connection to God that you don't. We are all bricks in the, same, in the same building. We're all priests of the one living God. 
So beware of going to a church where there's someone who functions like a priest, where they kind of mediate between you and God, like they kind of have the more direct kind of hotline to God or they can connect you to God in some way. No, no, we are all priests. God dwells in us. Third, offer your life as a spiritual sacrifice to God. God has made you a priest for this reason, that you might offer your life to please him. God desires your whole life. Have you given it to him? Is that how you view your life, as a spiritual sacrifice given completely over to the one who made you, not for yourself? That is who you are. That is what you've been made to be. A brick in God's house and a priest in God's temple. It's an incredible identity. I'm going to go on in a minute and see that there's, there's even more, far more to this identity that belongs to us. But the question is, does it belong to us? Can everyone say, that's my identity? Can everyone say, this is who I am, as we read it? Well, point two, who you are is founded on your response to the cornerstone. Have a look at verse six. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter says there are only two kinds of people with two different futures. And the deciding factor of who we are comes down to how you treat a stone. Testament where he says that God is building something. And the first stone in this particular building is a cornerstone. Now, just in case you're not familiar with kind of ancient building principles, the way, the way they kind of build something is you whack down a cornerstone first. And the cornerstone kind of sets the shape for the entire building. You take all your lines, you take all your levels from that particular stone. It's the controlling stone that sets the foundation for and shapes the rest of the building. God's stone is chosen and precious. Uh, now, it's not just kind of a loving way of talking about a precious rock, like when your child comes home from the beach and says, hey, look, I've got this amazing precious rock. And you're meant to go, oh, what a great rock, son. That's cool. Let me let's throw that back away. That's... No, God's not talking about a rock. He's talking about a person. He calls the rock him. He's talking about Jesus. See, in what God is building for eternity, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's chosen and precious. God chose Jesus to be this stone before the foundation of the world. See, it's not just Christians who were chosen before the foundation of the world. Jesus is chosen as well. The difference is that we are chosen for salvation, but Jesus is chosen to be the instrument of salvation, the cornerstone. He's so precious. And so how you treat this cornerstone is very important. It's going to shape your entire identity. In fact, we're going to see that it shapes your eternal destiny. How you treat this stone is very important. Peter says there's only two ways you can respond. The first way is to reject it. Have a look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Halfway through verse 7. But for those of you who do not believe, 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There are many who've rejected Jesus, who don't believe in the precious cornerstone, people who build their lives away from the foundation of this stone. And Peter says, if that is you, you will one day trip over this stone. The thing that you've rejected will end up being the thing that you stumble over, which will prevent you from having any part in the identity that God wants to give you now. And it means that you'll experience shame, judgment, and destruction forever. You can respond to the cornerstone by rejecting him, but it doesn't end well. But there is a second way. Have a look at verse 6. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a precious stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honour is for you who believe. You can believe in the cornerstone. You can put your trust in the cornerstone. You can build your life on the foundation of Jesus. And if you do, the promise is that for eternity, you will never be put to shame. You'll experience honour and have the privilege of giving honour and praise to the one who made all things forever. It's incredible. But it's not just something that changes your future, it completely shapes your identity now. Verse 4. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. It's as you come to him, the one who is the living stone, that you yourself become like a living stone, built on the foundation of the cornerstone. It's a little bit like Lego. It's not perfect, but Jesus is kind of like the base plate, the foundation which everything is built upon, and we're kind of like the little bricks. This is a guy from over from Wild Street who was on the most recent Lego Masters. Become a little bit like the bricks in his hand. You become a brick in the wall of God's house, a priest in his temple by coming to and believing in Jesus. How you respond to the cornerstone matters deeply. God says that how you respond to Jesus affects who you are at the very deepest level. You are either believer or unbeliever. You're either acceptor or rejecter. You're either a brick in God's spiritual building who will experience honour for eternity or someone who stumbles on the cornerstone and experiences shame and judgment forever. How have you responded to Jesus the cornerstone? There is no third option. You can't sit on the fence. If you currently haven't accepted Jesus, I'm imagining this is kind of unsettling, pretty uncomfortable to hear. But what are you going to do as a result of hearing it? You've heard it now. Are you going to leave and kind of go, these people are crazy. Never going to come back here again. I'm not going to look into Jesus anymore. Or will you come back next week? Find out more. Will you get to know the stories of the many people in this room who were just like you, but have given their lives to following Jesus? It is worth finding out more. It is worth believing in Jesus. You have an amazing future and a profound new identity. And it's one that Peter's not yet done telling us about. 
point three, Peter goes on. Who are we? We are God's special people to proclaim his praise. Peter's got six more things he wants to tell you about who you are if you believe in the cornerstone. So have a look at verse nine. I'm going to make explicit what Peter kind of writes implicitly. Verse nine. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you are, you have received mercy. It's a bit like an avalanche of titles and descriptions about who you are and they kind of sound pretty cool and important and weighty, don't they? It's also a little bit random. What are those things? I've never been called those words before. Well, again, they all come out of the Old Testament, a bunch of them from Exodus 19, which is where God gathers his people at Mount Sinai and he makes a covenant with them. And that is a place where he makes Israel his people. Peter gathers those titles now and says that they belong to you. In the new covenant, we become God's people in an even greater Who are you? A chosen race. God has chosen us to be his. People from all cultures and backgrounds to be a new people together. And the fact that we're chosen is taken away. If holding on to this identity was kind of up to you, then you could lose it. But because God has chosen you before the foundation of the world, you can never lose it or stuff it up. We are a chosen race. We're also, he says, a royal priesthood. Earlier he called us a holy priesthood. Now we're a royal priesthood. We are priests set aside to serve the king. We're also a holy nation. A nation set apart for God and his purposes. If you were here last week, you remember that we talked about the holy bedsheet, the bedsheet that was set aside for a holy purpose. That is who we are for God. And we're God's own possession owned by God, special to God. And once we were not a people, we had not received mercy, but now we are the people of God, people who have received mercy. This part is an allusion back to Hosea in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel had been so sinful and wicked that God said to them, you are no longer my people. No longer will you be under my mercy. They had been his people. They were his chosen people, but God says, because of your sin, not anymore. And yet I love you so much that one day you will be again. You'll be my people and come under my mercy. And Peter says who he was talking about is us. People who would put their trust in Jesus, receive his mercy and become part of his people. That is who you are. You are a living stone, a brick in God's spiritual building. You are his holy and royal priesthood. You are his chosen race, his holy nation, his special possession, all founded on Jesus the cornerstone. That is who you are. And who you are always informs what you're for, what you're to do. We've kind of seen that a bit already, that we are for the purpose of conducting the priestly duties, representing God to the world and pleasing God by the spiritual sacrifice of our lives. But verse 9 here, we get another purpose. Have a look at verse 9. You are a people for his own possession, that 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Because we belong to God through his goodness and mercy to us, we his goodness and mercy to the universe. We're to proclaim God and who he is and what he's done kind of to each other and to anyone and everyone who will listen so that everyone will know how great God is and so that more and more people will come to believe in the cornerstone instead of tripping over it. Who am I? Who are you? I'm not for, first and foremost a doctor. I'm not first and foremost a surfer. I'm not first and foremost heterosexual or homosexual. I'm not first and foremost wealthy or poor. Slippery stuff. That's around the edges. No, at the core of who we are, we are God's house to, del- to display him to the world and delight him with our lives. Our identity is founded to, on our response to the cornerstone. And we are God's special people to proclaim his praise. I've just got two reflections in light of all that. The first, knowing this identity is key, particularly in the face of suffering, both internal suffering and external suffering. Are you someone who suffers internally from low self-esteem? You think very lowly of yourself. Or maybe people around you have told you that you are worthless, that you've got nothing to offer. God's word is clear that if you trust Jesus, you are God's precious possession. You were a brick in the house where God lived. You're chosen, you're saved, you're deeply loved. You matter deeply to the one who matters most. If you look inward, if you look inside yourself to find your identity, to to what you can do, to who you are on your own, you will be crushed. But if you let God define who you are, you'll have a right and healthy understanding of your worth, chosen and precious to God. It can't be taken away. Keep looking to him for your identity. But that might not be you. You might be suffering externally, kind of from suffering persecution and pressures from the outside. If you remember, that's exactly what's happening for the people in 1 Peter. They are suffering. They're being persecuted. It feels so hard to keep going. You just want to give up. Peter says, what you need to hear is your identity. Remember who you are to God. That ultimately, you will not be put to shame. Who you are to God means that in the end, you will come out on top. Cling to who God has made you to be, and that will help you in suffering. It will help you to stand firm in the true grace of God, which is what the message of 1 Peter is all about. The second reflection about who you are is that our identity is corporate. It's not just about me, it's about us. We are a bunch of living stones that all together make up the temple of God. We're a royal priesthood together, a chosen nation. Our identity is completely bound up with the whole people of God. And that changes everything about how you think. It'll mean that you stop thinking about me, 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 and think about us. It'll mean you stop coming to church thinking about, what can I get out of it? Or a church is good if I can get lots out of it. You'll start thinking about, how can I love and serve others? How can I help us all to grow up into the spiritual building that God wants us to be? I love God's people, the church, deeply because it is the church that matters so deeply to God. See, who are you? Our identity, it's corporate. It's not about me, it's about us. So who are you? What are you for? You're so much more than your job. 
than your status, than your sexuality, than your style. We are God's house to display him to the world and delight him with our lives. It's all founded on our response to the cornerstone and we are God's people, his special people, to proclaim his praise to the universe. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the great reminder of who we are, that we are stones built on the precious cornerstone, that in light of Jesus, that we are the place where you dwell on earth, that we are your representatives to the earth, that we are to live lives for your praise, that we're chosen, precious, loved, special, set apart, that we are so much more than we could ever think we are in your sight. Help us to see this as who we are most deeply. Let's help this to shape who we are most deeply. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.